This is um, a new standalone message called Don't Believe the Storm. This is a specific message about um, your mental state. That's what this message is about. This message is not just about physical storms, which I'll get to in a second, but I'm talking about um, mental storms, emotional storms, physical storms. But that's the title tonight, Don't Believe the Storm. And I have a couple of examples, especially from, I have, I have four Bible characters that have experienced a storm. And you've heard the phrase of like, of like when, when someone calls someone a man of God or a woman of God in today's age. It's either they have, they're, they're really, they, they're very spiritual or, you know, they're very, very cool or mighty and all that stuff. Let me tell you something. These men of God that I'm about to talk about back in Old Testament, not even in today's age, back in Old Testament went through storms and they went through certain things and, and because we think sometimes that if you are a, a woman of God, a man of God, you're not really supposed to go through certain things. But that Bible is an example. Watch this. The Bible is an example of what we should live by, not just by principle, but by experience. And the experience that these Bible characters went through is something that we can geared towards and something that we can be encouraged by. Because for some of us in this room, we have a hard time surviving storms in our life because we don't stick to what is true. The Bible, the Bible says itself is the eternal word of God. That means that all the stuff you have, everything that you own, that you cherish, will perish one day. But that means the eternal word of God will last forever. And so that's why you have to always stick to the word of God because in storms, nothing else can really save you except God's word. Nothing else can really save you but the Lord's presence. And so the four Bible characters, and I want to give some examples before I start. So I've talked about some of these before. Elijah was suicidal. David was depressed. Moses was anxious. And Paul was alone in a prison. But God used them to set God, but God set them free and he used their mess and made it into a message. God can turn your worst seasons around when you choose to worship him in the middle of the storm. And that's what this message is about tonight. I want to focus on these four topics, loneliness, anxiety, depression, and suicide. These are very crucial things because even just, I, I forgot when it was, there was this, uh, whether, I think it was mental, mental health day happened a couple last month or something like that. I can't remember. I'll have to check the date. But mental health is very, very important. And the church has done a very horrible, horrible job at focusing on mental health. We trade mental health for spiritualism and call it right. And when we call that right, but we're dying on the inside, mentally, emotionally, physically, we lose the fact that it's not just spiritualism that's going to save us from the depths of our traumatic experiences. It's going to be us digging down deep and finding those things and bringing it up to the surface and giving it to God. So question, how many of you cannot sleep through a hurricane or sleep through a storm? Like you wake up hearing lightning and thunder and, and, and everything. Like you feel like you're about to go to Kansas in the Wizard of Oz. Like it's very traumatic. So for me, so to you who sleep, through a storm. You too, Dakota? Oh, you sleep through a storm? Yeah. So, so my, my family was very scared one time because I slept through, it wasn't bad. It wasn't like intense. Well, it was intense. I lie. It was intense. It was an intense storm that I had slept through and my parents were freaking out because they were like, were you dead while you were sleeping? Like, were you like, like, did you like go to heaven? And I'm like, no, I was, I was just, Sleeping the whole time. I sleep like a log. I sleep like a log. I cannot wake up to any type of noise. And most of my family had woken up. I think me and my dad had slept through the majority, but I, I, I can sleep through, through a storm. But there was, a, there was one time there was a hurricane. Most of the time, what's your first instinct? Get out of your house and go somewhere else. That's the point of going for a hurricane. Some people are just bold and they want to lose themselves and their house. 
So I was like, you know what, just stay at your house, do your own thing, whatever. But in my personal opinion, I need to run away. I need to get out of my house to where I don't get caught by this hurricane. But there was one time we stayed. We always leave for a hurricane. We always leave for it. But when we stayed one time, I remember... I remember it so vividly. It was, we were in my, we were in me and my brother's bedroom. And this was at the time when me and my brother didn't have separate beds. We, we slept on a futon together. Just a little bit of a secret of me and my brother, Matt. We used to sleep on a futon together because we couldn't afford the, the twin beds at the time. And we had that for a while, but we, we slept on a futon. We would pull the mattress, all, me and all of my siblings. This was long ago. I was really young at the time. And he, I pulled the mattress over us and we were hiding from, from the hurricane. And nothing happened. Nothing, nothing, nothing gentlemental happened. But there was something about the hurricane that, that it, it caught. I had more, I was more intense. I think most of us would have been. If you were sitting in a hurricane, even though you were supposed to leave, that's more intense than thinking, oh, it's just, it's just another hurricane. There was this one pastor that I know that I've talked with before. And he said, because he lives in South Carolina. And he said that when Hurricane Hugo hit, this was long ago, when Hurricane, when Hurricane Hugo hit South Carolina, he said for months he could not sleep at a friend's house at all. He was that afraid of the hurricane that it was, it was traumatizing for him to sleep, stay at his house for five months, could not sleep at a friend's house. It was frequent for him to sleep at a friend's house, but he could not sleep anywhere except his house. And... The truth is, is that when storms get bad, they can be scary. When, 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 when a storm, like, it, I don't know if y'all remember this, just a couple months ago, it was hailing. Where, where I was living, it was hailing. And it was very scary. And it was intimidating because the hail was like this thick and it was shooting down like a bullet. And so all of that was happening and it was frightening because a window could break. I think one of our aluminum uh, screenings kind of cracked through. Stuff like that is scary because you never know what's going to happen in a storm. But, but after the fact, after that all was over, the coolest thing after that hail had happened, because it was very, very cloudy, there was a beautiful sunset after the whole thing had passed by. And it was, it was gorgeous. Like I was in awe of what I had seen after a hail had just happened. And I, and I thought about it, even for this message. I thought about the fact of the times that we go through storms. At the end of it, there's a beautiful thing on the other side. But for some of us, we don't see it while we're going through a storm. Now, I'm not just talking about physical now. You know what I'm talking about. You know I'm talking about mental storms, emotional storms, situational storms that you can't see to get out of. And you can't seem to break through from. But there were other characters in the Bible that were also afraid of storms. And maybe you're walking through a time right now where you're facing some storms in your life. And so I want to use these four characters with the four different topics. And I want to jot this down and show you that Jesus wants you to know to not believe in the storm. Because there's a, there's a, there's a difference between being in a storm and truly believing in the storm. What I mean by that is you can be in a storm right now and still praise God. But you can be in a storm and accept the fact that that's where you're going to stay. And so that's why I named the title Don't Believe in the Storm because some of us believe it and we accept it and we cope with it and we enjoy it sometimes that the storm is a lot more comfortable than the beautiful sunrise. The first one I want to talk about is Paul and his loneliness. Acts 16, 16 through 28, I didn't put it up there. as a, uh, It's too long. I, I didn't want to take up too much of our time. But just to, quick, just to summarize as quick as I can, uh, it's a series of events leading up to the scripture. Paul radically encountered God. His life was transformed and he had made it his mission to spread the gospel, even if it meant he was being persecuted for it. So in a nutshell, he was first named Saul. And he was killing Christians. 
in Rome, and he was going on the road to Damascus, and God met him there. Jesus met him in form, and he was blind for three days. Then Silas, a prophet, came to rescue him and get, uh, take him out of his blind side, and then he was ready to preach the gospel, and he had a dramatic, radical change. And one of the biggest things from all of this, as he was preaching the gospel, is that he was put in prison in Rome. Now, this wasn't just any prison. This was what they called the deep dungeon. This was something, if you go to Israel, they have it there like Paul's journey. Because they have, they have in Israel, they have a tourist thing where you can see how the gospel played out. But you can also go there to see Paul's journey. And part of Paul's journey was he was in a dungeon. Almost like a dungeon. So there's a study when people went there. And the dungeon that Paul was in was 10 feet deep. That's lower than a grave. And he went all the way down there and was staying down there for a couple of days, him and Silas both. No, no windows. He was in an isolated place. He was in a place where people eventually die. So you can, you can say Paul was really lonely. Paul was really isolated. Paul was by himself. Some of y'all experienced that in your head. Some of you experienced that in your heart where you can't get out of this. You feel like you're 10 feet deep. You feel like you are 10 feet beneath the ground trying to get out of your lonely state because some of us are lonely, whether it's lack of friends, lack of relationship, lack of family, lack of anything, maybe even a lack of yourself. The loneliness gets deeper and deeper for you. In the natural, Paul and Silas were in a completely hopeless situation. In a completely hopeless situation. How lonely, because that's the question, how lonely do you think they were? Because, because you know, because if you know the story, Paul and Silas, they praise God and the, 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 the prison doors flood, like flooded loose and all, everyone in the prison got set free. And that was cool. Praise God. That was great. But what was it like in the moment before they started praising God? What was it like in the moment before they started praising him? Because that must have not been the initial thing that they had done when they got there. Because all of us in this room, I can say for a fact, look, I love y'all, but I'm going to be honest. Not a lot of us would praise God if we were in a deep dungeon. Unless we were really scared or it was the only option left. But some of us in this room start with something besides God when we're in a lonely place. When we're in a lonely place, when you're in a lonesome area in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, you're in a lonely place. And some of us run to other things because, because we've learned, and, there, and there's always been a, a study in the therapeutic part and the theological part, sin meets needs. And when sin meets a need, there's this, there was this one title that it, it would be controversial if someone preached it. It would be called sins with benefits. And I've said it before, sins with benefits. What that means is that this need that I need could come from sin. And it could come from a place that's actually separating me from God. And it's actually making me more miserable than it should. That's, that's what sin is. That's the benefits of sin, is that it's supposed to meet a need. But the thing that it does not show you, that it leaves you empty it leaves you hard-hearted. It leaves you depressed. It leaves you in a lonely place. And so Paul, I'm pretty sure, did not start with praising God. But there was a point. There was a, there's a point in your life as a Christian where you get tired of being in a dungeon. And if nothing else can get you out of there, if all you can do is praise God, then all you can do is praise God. Because once Paul and Silas started praising God, chains started to break. Doors started to open. People in there that were slaves were captive free. So you can't tell me that you first start with God if you're saying that nothing's ever going to get better. You can't tell me that just like Paul and Silas, you've been trying to praise God and those chains have not come off. Because there's going to be a point in your life, y'all, where external things cannot 
built, grow, and take care of internal pain and struggle. It can't. You cannot use drugs for peace. You can't use sex for pleasure of your needs. It doesn't work that way. It never functions that way. You can't use people's affirmation for your affirmation that comes from God. It doesn't work that way. Loneliness can only be built out of praise for God. And that's why Paul and them were set free. Not because they tried to figure it out and see where they would go from here or try to figure out how to really, how to really get out of the situation. All they had to do was praise God. All they had to do was worship him. All they had to do was trust him first. Because it's good and all. All of these things that we can do from the, from the self-help stuff, that all helps. But when it doesn't help anymore, when it's at its last drop, because that stuff can become a drug too. That stuff can be, self-help is an amazing thing, but it has to be balanced because if it is your God, then God won't be your true self-help. That's one of the loneliest places a person can get is a deep dungeon, 10 feet underground, no wall, no windows, no nothing, complete darkness. That's all they were in. Almost like this, if we would shut down all the lights out in this room, with the blockers on the windows. It would be dark in here. That's what it felt like with Paul and Silas in a deep dungeon, 10 feet underground. Sound like a fart. Sorry. <laughs> Sound like a rip. <laughs> no, no. Here's what happened. I want In this message, because it's about your mental health, I want you to look to your neighbor and tell them you need to focus. Look to your other neighbor and say, listen to the pastor, please. (laughs) It's all about focus. Mental health cannot be treated without focus, without perspective. Mental health can't be satisfied with a view of something. My mental, as a teenager, my mental, my mental thirst for lust could not be met in pornography because Mental stuff does not help. It's called refocusing. The Bible, the the root of repentance means to change your mind. So that means you need to change the way you think. Because if you don't change the way you think, you will stay in the place that you are. So you have to learn to change the way you think. Change the way you see stuff. Because looking how the world looks at stuff isn't going to cut it anymore. Because you'll be more miserable. You'll have to run more for things when God is always available. Perspective, focus is so important. And that's what Paul and them did. This is what happened, y'all. Paul and Silas chose to take their eyes, focus off of loneliness and praise God. Even with the situation being completely hopeless, even with the situation probably never changing because they were accepting the fact that they were going to be persecuted. Even in all of that, they praised God. In the worst situation possible, they sang praises to God. The power of the praise shook the prison, opened the doors and broke the chains, not just from Paul and Silas, but from every prisoner. Focus. Focus needs to be refocused. Your perspective needs to change. The way you think about stuff needs to change. The way you think about your own philosophy needs to line up with his word. End of story. Because sometimes your philosophy will get you in trouble. And your philosophy will take you down a place that is not right for you because you think you know what you need for you. But you really, really don't. Because you think, you think you know what you need for you. You think you know, but then when it happens, it's like, then I really didn't know. So now it's like, where do I go from here? God knows what you need. God knows what you need to do. When you start with praising God, chains break, not in the, just the sense of radical chains, but thinking of the fact that every single thought can be captive in praise, that every thought that you have about something can be captive in praise and worship. Second thing, Moses and his anxiety. Moses and his anxiety. I talked about this a couple of times, but the, be- the greatest word for anxiety of all time, if I had to make a guess, is what if. 
That is the biggest word. Hold on, let me gargle. Sorry, my, my mouth was dry. There is something that makes you very anxious is when you start with what if. When you start with what if, when you start with if, what if they, what if that, what if this. I've talked about this. What if, because we can find humor in our what if scenarios. Oh, what if this happens? And what if that? We can find humor in it, but the truth is many people struggle with anxiety. What if comes from a, an anxious thought? Even, watch this, y'all, even an innocent thought of what if comes deep down from a place of anxiety. It comes from a place of having this anxious feeling of, what if this doesn't go good? What if this doesn't go right? What if this doesn't work well? What if, what if, what if? And the what if can take over your mind. It starts with a little what if. And then it goes to a big what if. And then it goes into, into a gigantic what if. You know, they, they didn't text me. What, what if they never text me again? The bubble went away. What if they never text me again? What if they never want to talk to me again? What if they never want to want to see me in person? What if they see me in person and it's really awkward? And what if, 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 what if you never make it to heaven, even though you have Receive salvation with God as your personal Lord and Savior. What if you weren't really saved? See, you see what I'm saying? All of us have had that thought of what if. What if I'm saved? What if I'm not saved? What if I prayed the prayer wrong? What if? What if I? What if? What if I? What if I did the holy Mary thing and it didn't work? What if I did the this and that and if it didn't work? What if? What if? What if? Because we once we get to a what if, it becomes dangerous because it starts killing our thought process and we're not putting anything good. Because Paul says we have to have our minds of holiness, righteousness, things that are good, things that are pure. We can't keep it with the what if. And Moses was dealing with this, y'all. It was very heavy. Let me let me let me have a scripture for this one. Philippians four nineteen. And in this same way, God who takes care of me. We'll supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling the Philippians, hey, my God that I serve, that I worship, will supply all of your needs. All of them. Every single one. Paul wasn't just talking because he was trying to give God a good rep. He wasn't just talking because because he wants his opinion to get out about God. He had a genuine experience knowing because Paul's had an experience with this. Remember his loneliness in the prison. He supplied because God supplied all of his needs in a deep dungeon. He can tell the Philippians he will supply all of it. He will supply all of it. He'll be able to take care of all of it. God promises to guard our minds with his peace. When we choose to pray and praise instead of worry, see focus change. Focus change. You're changing your focus off of something that is not worth focusing on and you're focusing on what is of God. So when you change your loneliness to praise, you have to change your worry to prayer. You have to create this focus to change. Moses was a man riddled with anxiety. God was telling, I was going to read the scripture of Exodus, but I want to kind of make it plain here. God was calling Moses to do great things. He was calling him to set free his people from 400 years of slavery. He was about to do that. Think about that. God just told you to set 400 people free from slave and captivity from a narcissistic ruler named Pharaoh. So what do you do with that? No wonder Moses was anxious. The first thing that came out of Moses' mouth was, I'm not qualified. I have a stutter. What if they don't understand me? What if, what if Pharaoh doesn't listen to me? What if, what if, what if? And he starts going at this what if rant with God. And he says, what do, what, what if, what if they don't accept me? What do I tell them to who sent me? What do I do? Moses was in this what if because of the pressure of what was going on with Pharaoh and the people. Pharaoh, at this time, God would harden his heart. His heart was hardened towards the people, towards Moses. So he was aggressive. And Moses had to face that. It's very, it's very, watch this. It's very scary when you go through a storm. It's very scary. 
because Moses was about to experience something that he did not want to experience or go through or walk through or walk toward. He was afraid of it. And he asked God, what if? He asked God, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't hear me? I have a stutter. I have this. What ifs came to his mind? Moses began to listen to lies. What if they don't listen to me? What if... What am I supposed to tell them if they ask me who sent me? Here's the encouragement. God assured Moses first. God made sure that Moses was affirmed before he went to Pharaoh. You see that? God affirms you before you go to Pharaoh. God affirms you before you go through that storm. God affirms you before you go through that, that conflict. Because that's the one thing Moses needed. He didn't need Forgot to be like, just just go get it over with. Just go get it done. God wasn't brushing Moses aside. God assured Moses that he would be with him. He wasn't asking Moses to do it by himself. A lot of y'all really think that God would call you to something or tell you to do something through a relationship, through a circumstance without him being with you? That's a weird mindset to have, but we all think it. It's interesting to me that we don't think that God won't be with us of what he calls us to. Sometimes I've always thought that I was alone in my calling of preaching. I thought, I thought, I thought God just threw me into the pit. Here you go. I mixed you up. I gave you some, some, some traits. I gave you some skill. Here you go. No, God does not send you without sending himself before you. And this is where we lose track we be like Moses. What if they, what if this, what if that, what if, what if? And God wants to turn your what if into a what is. Moses said, what if they don't listen to me? God told Moses, what is that in your hand? What if they don't listen? God said, what is that in your hand? God wanted to change Moses' anxiety to assurance in one sentence when he saw his staff in his hand. Because if you've read the Bible, God uses Moses' staff to terrify Pharaoh. What is right now in front of you is more important than the what if that might never happen. God's answer to Moses is the same as as his answer to our doubts, fears, and anxiety today. What is right now? Because most of our what-ifs are future-based. Most of our what-ifs are ahead of time. But God's talking about what is in your hand. A staff. I have a staff. I have something God's going to use to help me face Pharaoh and to help me set my people free. He will be with us. He is our I am. Look to your neighbor and say, I am. Look to your other neighbor and say, I am. He is our I am. What does that mean? He is our identity. God wants us to be an image of him. You know how the Bible says to be an image of God? We are created in the image of God. Even it says to be like Jesus We'll never, we're not, that does not mean we're gods. That does not what that means. What that means is that we were created from the same essence of an entity that is all powerful and all majestic and almighty. And he wants us to be his. That's why he didn't go by himself because God was with him because he was in Moses. Moses had God because he is I am. His identity, Moses' identity was found in who God was. And once he found that, he was able to face Pharaoh, not because of what he could do, but because of what God called him to do. When the anxiety felt like too much, God showed up for Moses in a way only he could. And ultimately, Moses went to set the Israelites free. See, that's the result of knowing I have to be obedient to what God tells me, even though I don't like it. But I also need to know that even though I don't like it, he'll be with me anyways. So that's where the comfort comes from. Because listen, you're not always going to be comfortable. If your life is set on comfort, you'll die. But if your 
If your focus is set on growth with God, you will thrive. You will push through because your focus is not on the anxiety or the what if or the circumstance. It's focused on God going with you in it. The third one is David and his depression. I want to give everyone this permission because some of us are learning that. Some of us don't really know, but some of us really don't care about it. But all y'all need to know this. It is okay to cry to God. Let that sink in. It is okay to present your cry out to him, whether it's tears, whether it's frustration, whether it's doubt, whether it's, whether it's any type of emotion you're feeling about a circumstance, you need to know that it is okay because God is not affected by your infirmity. What does that mean? God's not affected by your imperfection. God is only affected by sin, but you are not sin no more. You're not sin. You're now the righteousness of God through Christ. So now you have an opportunity to go to him and have a space of grace for you to explain to him what's frustrating you right now. Sometimes we think that because uh, because he's God and we can't cry out to him and tell him exactly what's going on or exactly how we feel or what we're dealing with on the inside. We think that he won't listen. There was this one. There was this one man that um, uh, that Pastor Brandon was counseling and. He asked Pastor Brandon, he said on, on a Sunday one time, he told him, hey, can you give the man upstairs, a, 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 as a joke, a call for me? Like, like you have the red phone to the man upstairs type thing. Like, like the man thought that he couldn't access God like Pastor Brandon could. And Pastor Brandon told him, buddy, you have the same access as I do. And the deal is, is that most of us don't think that we can access God because of what we've done or what we've been doing, or what we might be doing now still. But I talked about it last week. When you, if it's sin, you can confess for free. There's no price to confession. There's no price to telling God what you've been struggling with. There's no price to know when you explain to God what you're dealing with. There's no price. Because if there was, Jesus paid that already. So if Jesus paid that already for your sin, that means you can tell him the evil sin that is of this world that you've been struggling with and he is faithful and just to forgive you. That's what the Bible says. Y'all, I struggle with this all the time, thinking that I can't cry out to God for the struggle. Because I think to myself, I shouldn't be this way. That's your first thought. I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't be acting like this. I shouldn't be feeling this. I'm a man of God. I shouldn't be feeling this way, right? You shouldn't be feeling this way. Because you're a Christian. You're not supposed to be feeling these emotions. You're not supposed to be feeling the, this, this dread. You're not supposed to be feeling this despair. You're not supposed to be. But while we were still sinners... Christ died. So this shows me that in my humanness, God can meet me where I am because he already did with Jesus. He did it with Christ already. So this means, this is cool. This means when I struggle with sin, I can walk up to his throne of grace and he just goes, there you go, you're forgiven. Really? That's it? I don't have to do anything? I don't have to prove, show, understand. Because listen, in human tendency, we want people to prove to us if we've lost trust, right? We don't just blindly trust someone who's just disappointed us or broken us. It's a human tendency, but God is not human. God is not of us. Even though we're made in the image of him, we're not made in that same. He is able, he is, is holy enough, he's righteous enough to let you walk into the door for you to sit, even though you feel so dirty, sit there and he's willing to listen, even though you've you've probably broken him, you've probably sinned against God multiple times, but there is 
a second chance. God is a God of second chances. David was an example. David was a king. He was a man after God's own heart. He was an incredible man. But the one thing that David, listen, if you're depressed right now, go read Psalms. If you're in a depressed state, if you're in a, in a dark state, read Psalms. Because David, even though it's not recorded, there's a theory that David did deal with depression. While he was under attack from, from, from Saul and his people, he lost Jonathan. His best friend Jonathan lost him in a battle. He lost his baby with Bathsheba. He, he lost another, another brother named Absalom. He lost a lot. And he wasn't even able to build the temple because of the sin he was dealing with. He wasn't able because his hands were of blood. And in the Old Testament, you had to be clean. This was before Christ. And so David had lost a lot. He was a man after God's own heart. Psalm 22 verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? David cried out as loudly as he could because he felt like God had abandoned him. Maybe some of you relate to this feeling of God abandoning you. Here's the funny thing though. Even though you feel abandoned by God, something in you tells you that he's still here somewhere. Like you feel the abandonment, but there's something. It's like he's still here. He's still there. David, because here's the deal. You can feel that feeling, because when you say that, you're like, oh, you don't trust God. You just think he abandoned you. You can still feel the abandonment from God, even though it's probably not true, or it might it might have been a different thing. You could feel that, but yet never walk away from God. See, because David, David had been looking for God, searching for God in the midst of the mess he was facing. But here's the, here's the kicker. Here's where we have to be like David. David knew God would never leave him, but he can't see him anywhere. He felt like the favor wasn't there anymore. He felt like everything he was praying for wasn't being answered, and he was stuck in a trap. And I think all of us can relate to the fact that we've all told ourselves, God is with me in all this, but no matter how much you looked, you couldn't see him. Some of us give up firsthand. I'm done with God. He abandoned me firsthand. I'm done. Some of us are like, let me give it some time. You know, maybe he's, you know, busy upstairs in heaven. But then some of us are actually in the mode, even though we feel abandoned by him, there's a thought in our mind that goes, God's with me in all this. Somehow, in this abandonment that I'm feeling, God is with me in all of this. Sometimes we know God is with us, but we just can't see hear or feel him. When you get into his presence and you don't feel his presence, you feel like, oh, it's gone. My faith is gone. It's over. I'm done. Because if everything was based off of a feeling, we would be more disappointed than we would by faith. Faith is what drives that you believing in God matters more than you feeling God. That matters more because it's by faith. At the time he wrote this psalm, psalm, David sounds like he's done. And we usually don't think about it, like I said, but there was a chance, there's a theory that he battled depression. He never left God and God certainly never left him. Let's all say this from the get-go. God never leaves you, ever, ever. The only time that could happen is that if you're living in your own decisions, you're not living for God. That's the only thing. But everything else, God has never left David and he's never left any of you. And think about it. He has experienced grief of losing his best friend, Jonathan, his baby with Bathsheba, his older son, Absalom. He experienced the stress of being the king of God's chosen people and the spiritual pressure of being called a man after God's own heart. Think about that. The pressure, just like Moses, the pressure. Did you know that most of these things from depression, loneliness, anxiety, suicide, it comes from pressure? It comes from a pressuring state that the enemy likes to put on us where he's pushing us back to a corner to where we can't, because sometimes the storm can be uncontrollable. It can be uncontrollable because sometimes you can't control the storm. 
You can be the weatherman or weather woman of the storm. But there's sometimes where you can only watch the storm from a distance and you can't control it anymore. Know this, the storm of depression may feel great in your life, but watch this. This might sound shallow, but it's real, but God is greater. See how shallow that sounded? Oh, that's so generic. Here's the point of that. My shift in what I focus on matters. We've been talking about focus tonight. It matters because it determines where I lead myself. And I need to ultimately let God lead me. And he will be greater than the deep pit I feel like I've been in. I will continue to be like David and cry out when no answer is available. You're going to have to get to a point where you got to be like David, where you got to keep crying out to God, even if you feel abandoned. Because you can't be like, because in a relationship you can do that. Like your boyfriend aggravates you. Oh, I'm going to go sit in the corner. Or, or you, your girl's driving you nuts and you're like, dude, I'm done with it. Let me go play my video games. I'm done with this junk. This does not happen with God. God is not going to jump back out when you're playing a pity party in the corner. God is going to stay where he is waiting for you because he's that type of God. He's not going to think, oh, they're just throwing another another tantrum. God's going to wait until you start crying out to him because he wants you to make sure that he is your Lord, that he is your God. You have to make sure of that. You have to be sure. The final thing is Elijah and his suicide. I've talked about Elijah before, but I want to go a little bit deeper into this before I close. Defeat defeat and hopelessness are hard things to come face to face with. The temptation can be often be can often be to quit before you lose any worse. It's better sometimes, it feels better sometimes to knock it out before it gets worse. Maybe it's a situation where you're thinking like Elijah, because Elijah right now, he's being attacked by Jezebel. Even though she hasn't done anything yet, he's afraid. And watch what happened. He prayed. He didn't just tell God. He, he made a prayer. And he prayed and asked God, Lord, take me. Take me. I'm done with this. I'm done. Kill me. And he was honest with God. Here's the one thing that I've learned. And I've said this from before. The holiest prayer you can pray is the honest prayer you can pray. If you are constantly making up prayers to try and sound good to God or even to other people, you have failed in your prayer life. The way your prayer life should go is to be honest with God. Because if your emotions and your motives are not geared towards your heart in prayer, then your prayer will come up empty and it'll feel shallow. But if you start being honest with God and you start speaking the things that are on your heart and on your mind that you want to tell God about, that is what we need to do. Just like Elijah, he wasn't afraid to tell God. And he was a prophet, y'all. This was one of the mightiest men of God. More mightier men than today. And he dealt with suicide. He was done. I want you to know this. God knows how to handle that storm. We try, we, because some of us, not just with suicide, but even with depression and all that, nobody understands what I'm going through. God does. If no one else does, God does. And you can't tell me he can't because he's dealt. God dealt with characters of this, of this Bible, of this book, that have dealt with suicide stuff. Joseph, Jonah was the same way. After, after God gave Nineveh the benefit of the doubt, Jonah was pissed and Jonah wanted to die. Jonah was in the same boat as Elijah and God knew how to handle it because he knows how to handle you because he created you. Some of you think you're not worth being handled because you feel like you're too much for people. And you get insecure of the fact that, oh, they won't be able to understand this because I've talked to people from before and they look at me crazy. You be like Elijah and be honest with God. And look what God did. 
God gave Elijah food to eat and water to drink for the journey ahead. He didn't give him an answer. The way God handles it is in action, not in words. We often forget that we're waiting for God to speak. We're waiting for, just like David, we're waiting to hear God. But there's an action that God takes that he did with Elijah. Elijah wanted to die. God showed him in a physical illustration that you need to live. You have a purpose. You need to live. You have a destiny. This might not be for someone in this room, but there's someone that you know that is struggling with suicide. And let me give you this challenge. Let me hit it hard. Let me pressure y'all a little for a second. How dare you have the gospel in your heart when you could be giving it to someone who is lost and depressed and suicidal? Because some of us have been through that. And some of us know what it's been like. And there's someone that you know, maybe it's not in this room, maybe it's at school, maybe it's at a job, and you have the gospel in your, not in your hands, in your heart. This is what God's done for me in that state that I was in. And you have every opportunity to tell somebody about it. And you know someone. And I get it. There's this fear of rejection. There's a ton of things. You don't want to be weird. You don't want to be over-spiritual. Y'all, it's very easy when you've been through something. Let the experience of your testimony be stronger than the words that come out of your mouth. Because if you're so worried about what you're going to tell them, you will never be able to tell them the testimony of what God gave you. So if you would stop contemplating, if you would stop procrastinating, if you would stop worrying about what you're going to say, Talk about what God's done in your life. That is a part of the gospel that you can bring to someone. Or, or the action. You wish you would have had someone sit with you in dark times. You can do the same thing for somebody else. I've learned that in my life. I didn't have a lot of mentors in my life. I have some now, praise God. But as a kid, I didn't have any. As a teenager, I didn't have a lot. So when it comes to now, I just want to mentor everyone that breathes because I want you to have something that I didn't have. We need to all think like that sometimes, not in an unhealthy way. You have boundaries, but you need to know that there's someone in your circle that needs help and you have the gospel in in the Bible, in your own mind, but even in your heart because you're saved. You have the opportunity to tell someone about this. John 10 verse 10. This is is evident, y'all. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. It's the enemy that wants to take out our lives. Most people will say it's them. They're ready. They're done. They're going. Let me be completely blunt in this room. It's not you that wants to do it. It's not that person you know that wants to do it. It's the devil that tries to play in those areas because of the circumstance in your life. The devil's tricky, y'all. We, we have a real enemy. We act like he's not around. We act like he doesn't attack. We act like he doesn't attack God's children. And that's what he's been doing in your life, is that he is constantly pushing your brain to go to a deeper place, to a darker place. And so he does that, and he tells you to yourself that it's you that wants to do it. The devil has been playing it all along in some of our minds and even the people that we know. But God wants us to give, God wants to give us an overcoming life. Elijah had a Jesus high. He was a prophet. He was calling down fire from heaven. Yet when the thing with Jezebel happened, he became suicidal and he prayed and said, Lord, take me. I don't want to live anymore. Here's the good news. God showed up for Elijah. God showed up for him. He gave him everything he needed to keep going. And he wants to do the same for you or someone that you know. The last few things I want to say. Jesus can still the storm of suicide. He can still still the storm of depression. He can still the storm of anxiety. And I want you to know tonight that Jesus will be with you in the storm. No matter what storm it is from all of those categories, he is still with you in the storm. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want us to get into a moment where 
you know someone, or maybe it's you, who is struggling with these things. And it's eating you alive, and you don't know where to go from here. And you're struggling. I want you to know that God is always an ever-present help in time of trouble. And when you're in a time of trouble and you're a child of God, you will always have access no matter what's going on. And it breaks my heart for some of us who do not understand that much access that we do have with God. Enough to know that I can go to him in times of pain and trouble. In this moment, if you're dealing with those four subjects, I want you to take it to God right now. And I need you to talk to God for just a quick second because you have the responsibility. We can't pray for you. God can't pray for you. He intercedes for you, but he's not going to pray your own words. You need to pray and talk to God in your mind, in your heart about these things. That you need the confidence to face Pharaoh. You need to praise God to break those chains to get out of that dungeon. You need to reverse that anxiety to prayer, to pray in everything. It says not to be anxious for everything, but to pray in everything. And when you are dealing with with thoughts of giving up on your life, God wants to show up for you. You have to let him in. It's all about focus change. It's all about focus change. And that's what you need to do tonight. So Lord, we, we change our focus upon you. We change our focus upon not what we're going through and not what we're thinking, but Lord, what you say is going on, what your word says. Because Lord, when we go to you, we know that there's more comfort there than anything else in this world. So Father, we ask, Lord, that you would take it to comfort, Lord God. Yeah, stop stomping. We take it to comfort, Lord. We take it to a place, Lord, where, Lord, even with a distraction, Lord, we know that you are God and that you are will supply all of our needs in this room in Christ Jesus. That you will supply all of these things. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you would meet every single topic because you can. You know how to handle these things. You know how to handle these things. We can't just rely on external stuff. We have to rely on you, Lord, because you are the only one that can come into us internally. So Father, we thank you that you are helping us to not trust in the storm, to not believe in the storm, to not rely on the storm, to not be afraid of the storm. But Lord, you're walking us through it and you're gonna be, Lord, just like I had seen it, Lord. After the hurricane, Lord, you you had a sunset waiting on the other side. Lord, get us to that place. Lord, get us to that sunset. Get us to that place of, of comfort. Help us to see the other side to where we can tell others about it to where we can express the gospel like that to others that are struggling with the same stuff we've struggled with. So Father, we ask for this, that you would meet us like that and that we don't have to believe in the storm anymore and it's in your hands and that we trust you with our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.